Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of Inspired Short Stories Podcast. Today we have a couple of stories from another Reddit writing prompt, but before we jump into that, I'd like to make a quick announcement. I came across this amazing story written by the same anonymous author that gave us Humans Are Survivors, the first story ever shared on this show. It's quite a bit longer than anything we've done before or will do regularly, but it's so good, I'm really excited to share it with you. Can't give you too many details, but it's called Void Child. It is a sci-fi, and we'll be releasing that story as a special, hopefully next month. I practically had to beg the author to finish the story, so hopefully you'll tune in and join us on r slash inspired short stories, my brand spanking new subreddit, to share your thoughts about the episode. Today's prompt said, Humanity suddenly gains immortality, but not regeneration. They may be mortally wounded, and yet still live. I think everyone who sees the darkness, the inevitability of decay, the certainty of chaos, has two choices to make. The first is to move toward it, to embrace it. Or... The second is to appreciate the beautiful things in life all the more because darkness is the only other option. A good person may be so in tune with the darkness as to feel it, like they experience it every waking moment and can write great stories about it, yet choose to be happy and are happier all the more for it. Some of the greatest writers are those who see death, choose life, and weave the two together artfully. And I think our authors today did that well in their stories about the cross-section of decay and growth. Our first author today is Charlie Romeo Writes. His tag is in the show notes, and you can go ahead and click on that to find his Reddit and read more of his stories. spindle-like arms shifted softly under the covers, barely strong enough to move. What sunlight streamed through the window of the hospital room seemed to show through his skin, now paper-thin and mottled with liver spots. His chest still rose and fell rhythmically. Somehow. Adam looked on at the man, his mind leagues away from his body. He'd answered the call, the lost generation, they called them. The final generation might be more apt, he thought dully. Born only to take care of a world crumbling under its own weight, desperately trying to shake off billions of members who unwillingly remained tethered to it. Mr. Demo, Adam asked in a soft but clear voice. They're going to be up in a moment. I have to ask one more time. Are you sure about this? Sure that you're ready? 
The old man's eyes shot around frantically, and the muscles within his neck pulsed and strained through paper skin, unable to articulate the head which lay too heavily upon it. Adam walked to the bed, resting his hand atop one of the blank hands of the old man. Delicately, he grasped it. One squeeze, yes. Two squeezes, no. The man's grasp was faint, hardly a grasp at all, yet barely perceptible. Adam felt one long attempt at a squeeze from under the covers. He was ready to try and leave. Okay, they'll be here in a moment. Rest now. Adam often imagined what people thought as they lie in their beds here, reminiscing on their painfully extended lives. He wondered what he'd think. That is, if he wasn't seriously injured anyways. Those who received traumatic enough injuries simply went insane. A doctor not much older than Adam finally came in. He carried with him a syringe filled with a faintly purple liquid. The doctor pulled up a stool to the man's bed, moving deliberately and gently. Finding a vein wasn't hard with the sickly thin appendages. Rest easy, the young doctor spoke softly to the man as he injected the potent sedative. May you find your peace. Mr. Demo's eyes stopped moving and the sickly exterior of his body grew completely still. Adam walked to the back of the bed, releasing the brake. He nodded curtly to the doctor, who returned the gesture. None really liked to speak in this place anymore. He pushed the bed out the door and into the hallway, where the harsh and pure white tones of LED bulbs cast themselves out ineffectually onto pristine white and gray tiles. The wheels of the bed moved completely silently over the smooth surface, as if they too dared not break the silence which let itself blanket the building like a shield. The rest of the world had grown so loud, so feverous. Adam finally wheeled the bed and the unconscious Mr. Demo into a large freight elevator. He selected the bottommost floor and waited. Every time he wondered if they awoke during the burning, if their nerves screened out in such agony, such extreme distress, that even the elephant-dosed sedative might lose its tenuous grip on ancient body and mind. Ding! The elevator doors parted, revealing the incinerator room. Neat rectangular slots lined the wall, each emitting a fierce orange glow. He wheeled the bed over. Using the same gentle care the doctor had, he delicately lifted the husk-like man out of his bed and into one of the metal drawers which emerged from the wall. He nestled the man inside in what he hoped was a comfortable and dignified position. He put his hand against the back of the metal coffin, preparing to insert the man into the inferno. He paused. Bending down one last time, Adam crossed the man's hands neatly and straightened his robe. Wherever he winds up, he ought to look nice. Adam imagined himself in the box, 
in what seemed a far too near future. The metal drawer slid neatly back into its perch within the wall. With the push of a button, the top divider of the drawer flipped open and allowed the greedy jet-like flames to engulf the man inside, devouring him. Adam stared at the spectacle, the same questions that had been with him for a decade slamming relentlessly against his mind. If men whose heads had been cut off could still survive, would the ashes retain his consciousness? What if his soul did it escape, drifting lazily up with the smoke into the wailing clutches of the finally free blue sky above? Will any of this last long enough for him to know? The machine let out a neat ding. Adam turned on his heel back towards the elevator. There were still countless more to go. This story weaves together both the utilitarian side of human existence, I'm going to put it that way, and the spiritual side. Well, on the one hand, the author talks about the world being weighed down by billions of people who are unwillingly tethered to it. And the character is presented as having a responsibility almost to take care of this generation that literally cannot die which will soon be him also. And it's a really, really thought-provoking story. Like, what, what would we do if that was the case? If people suddenly living beyond their natural lives, it's, it's really hard to define what exactly that is. I mean, do we use an ambiguous term like uh, average life expectancy to place a value on when someone should die naturally? We can't. And the only other option is to place value on the usefulness element, right? We can go utilitarian, we can go usefulness, or we can go spiritual. Those are the three ways we can go. We can talk about humanity as having inherent value, or we can talk about humanity as having a cost to the world, to uh, on the world's natural resources, on uh, on whatever regime happens to be in power. And who gets to decide which is which? Who gets to decide who lives and dies? Again, thankfully in this story, it's about humanity helping each other along to reach their natural conclusion, a conclusion which they can no longer reach on their own. And they're given a choice, but it forces us to ask these questions about whether anything short of that, whether anything short of a sudden and inexplicable end to our natural life cycles gives any human being a right to kill any other human being. Well done, Charlie Romeo writes. Our next story today is from Thousand Goidian Finch. I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but our next story is from him. You can find his Reddit tag in the show notes and follow it to read more of his stories. Thousand Goidian Finch goes about this story a much different way. The characters in the story approach the issue of immortality 
in arguably a more pragmatic way. This author really throws the world into sharp detail. Um, how this family of persons living in the marsh respond to the immortality of the human race. And it's almost like having gained the ability to not die, humanity has also lost its humanity. Are we really human if we cannot end? Or are we something else? And is that something else a good thing. Lousden Marsh lay silent in the afternoon warmth. Thin bars of light filtered into the silvered surface of the water and mud. The sedge grass lay coarse and putrid against the sides of the boat, which rocked slightly as my father, poised on the edge, harpoon in hand, shifted. I myself rather focused on the flash of vivid azure of the kingfisher, my binoculars shifting over the gray, cold, stony mud, the low-hanging branches. A gray heron stalked silently nearby, its long, stilted legs bringing a cloud of soft silt to the surface as it strode, ripples expanding to still. Still my father stood stock still, prizing greater prey. A single bubble welled up from that muck, ballooning before collapsing in on itself. He plunged his spear. It sank deep into the soft darkness. The still surface erupted into a cacophony of splashes. Great crests of water broke against the boat as the surface broiled white, for something lay thrashing and impaled. A brown, slime-crusted hand gripped the harpoon handle, then slumped back into the deep. The boat lay clamoring with the heavy thump of the marshman's writhing and frenzied movements. The dark form of a head rose for a moment from that deep, the face obscured by primordial soup and algae, the hand and arm now outstretched in its murderous fury. Quickly my father slashed the gripping hand back with his machete and pulled the beast aboard. The marsh let out a terrible sucking sound as water rushed to fill the space that terrible creature had been. The air stank now with a putrid, gaseous scent. The figure flopped into the footwell, long nails scrabbling for purchase, teeth snapping and animal-like. Quickly I pulled a small hand axe from the storage container, and alongside my father began hacking at the man's limbs, the axe head grinding softly against bone till open air, for the beast's limb had been cut clean off. Intact, my father had busily sliced through the other three till all that moved was the wriggling torso. What will we do with him? I asked sullenly, for I'd wanted to stay home. A brief flare of flame lit his cold eyes as my father lit a cigarette. Your ma'am wants some fertilizer. You'll grind him up when we get home, he said monotonously, for he lay splattered with marsh water. 
Tricky fellows these marshmen are. Get dumped when their family don't want them no more. A bad place to exist. He spoke softly as he began to pack away the equipment. Silently, both he and I wondered if this would be our futures. Dumped. Destined to turn savage. And that's all for this episode, folks. Um, I was a little bit late getting this episode out. I'm trying to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, if possible, to keep a consistent schedule for y'all. Um, I don't know yet how feasible that'll be. It is a new project for me. I've only been doing it for a couple of weeks, but so far the support from y'all has been absolutely phenomenal. So thank you so much. And I hope to see you guys again for Friday's episode. It will be another sci-fi. 